When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As of right now, we are at war. How desperate you call on such lost creatures to defend you. How desperate am I? You threaten my world with war. You steal a force you can't hope to control. You talk about peace and you kill because it's fun. You have made me very desperate. You might not be glad that you did. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if they can become something more. Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast and resource devoted to the discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol. My name is Jesse Aiken. I have a very special episode for you today as we return to the interview series. And today we'll be diving into what we've been doing with the interview series, which is talking with content creators and inspirations, people of the community of MCP and other games. And today, my guest is none other than my friend, Zach Bunn of Team Covenant and the Covenant cast. Zach, thanks for being here. How are you feeling today? How's your family? Hope all is well. Hey, Jesse. How's it going? It's always a pleasure to be on. I've been on a handful of your podcasts throughout the years. I'm doing great. As you're aware, we've been streaming a lot over at Covenant. It's oh, yeah. evening time now. I haven't done any evening time content in a, quite some time. It felt kind of weird. I came back to the office to record because we have the nicer mics and stuff. Quiet space. It's the first time I've, I've actually come to the office in the evening. So our office is behind our store. We have a store in Tulsa. And it was kind of a weird feeling. Like I go home, eat dinner and stuff and come back for like events and whatnot at the store. And it was the That's first right. time it was like kind of sun setting and it was really sad because like the parking lot's empty and no one's it in the store, sad. right? It was it was very sad as I walked in. So I'm kind of somber, honestly. That's that's the emotion I'm feeling right now. You know, I'm sure there's some sort of Zen-like element there as well. You haven't experienced this in so long. In general, the office, I guess, being empty. That's part of the world we live in right now, Zach. It's just everything is so strange. Everybody's working in different situations and cycles. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it is nice, though, being on here, getting to see your face. I haven't seen you in quite some time. That's so right. that's nice. I, in some ways, I feel like I'm back at the store a little bit. But in others, the goal. Uh, it's just kind of a little bizarre. But I'm glad to be here. I'm excited to be here. I listened to your Sarastra episode recently. You had him on last. And uh, I that's think right. this is great. I think community content is an incredibly vital part of these communities. So I'm happy to be here and proud of you for continuing to, to carry on the good work of content creation. And this is a conversation I've had lately on a couple of my shows. It's actually really inspiring to me right now, Zach, some of the innovations and flexes people have made in the COVID-19 world. And part of it is really interesting for content creators and especially podcasts. And when communities are feeling like stretch, like MCP was feeling pretty stretched there for a while because it was kind of at an all-time high and then the pandemic hit and people were literally getting like the guardians in their hands and they're like, I can't even play the guardians. You know what I mean? And they were so excited. 
the goal of this series, this interview series, and why it's kind of breaking up our normal structured form of the show with our character deep dives and our strategy segments and all that stuff is because we want to make the community feel closer together. We want to talk to content creators, but we also want us all to feel tight knit. Sarastro nailed it really good. Some of this off mic with me and some of it on mic, he was just talking about he's never felt closer to his viewers, which is very interesting because of basically he said you have a little bit more downtime sometimes and you're working in a different format. And he said it was kind of a way to break down barriers between content creators and even like game designers and go bigger, like celebrities of some form with their viewers, listeners, fans, et cetera, et cetera. And I think he's right. It makes everybody closer together right now when we feel so far apart. And that's kind of the goal of this series and long form version, like I just said. Hopefully we can do that today. Sure. I think it makes total sense. I'm feeling the same way. It's definitely a different environment and people are spending their time doing different things. And as a content creator, ultimately, or someone who's on content quite often, it's a totally different level of connection in the community that's happening. Because, you know, I think tabletop, one of the things that makes it so special is that you get to connect across the table with people. And there's really not much that does it like tabletop does it or as well as it does it. That's something we're all used to having all the time, right? Whenever we want it. And then all of a sudden, Corona hits, isolation hits, the world kind of turns upside down and hanging out in a room with 30, 40 people playing games isn't really feasible at the moment, at least here in the States for us. And that's what I meant by somber as well. Really, it's kind of introspective, just the recognition that something that you were really used to and accustomed to. It was just part of your routine. You didn't really, really, truly 100% recognize how special it was or what it meant to you or or how much you loved it. And then oh, it man. suddenly gets ripped away. And then, of course, that's a time of reflection. Absolutely. Exactly. I've been struggling for some time and I've been really transparent on the podcast about this too. As you know, I'm a man of many hobbies and many cultures. Man, I just can't think of a day in my life that I have not gone to or played music live for over 20 years until recently. And like a huge part of me has been taken away. The good news is I'm still Jesse. Everything's still the same. 20 years of that to not having it. And then of course we have my love of tabletop and all these other elements as well. Of course, one of my other favorite things to do is get a bunch of people together and host them as you know, as well. So it's just been a really strange introspective time for me as well. So if anything, I think honesty, transparency, openness, and just sort of communication with not only your friends, but of course, everyone in your community is really helpful right now. And what's interesting is I think, yes, that local level, that face-to-face with a couple players, that has disappeared, which is really rough. But in a weird way, the tabletop communities, MCP is a great example, and we'll get into that in a moment. They've gotten a lot more global, I feel like, as in you're talking to more people from other game groups in other cities, states, countries. And that really wasn't going to happen before unless you were at these big conventions, which now don't exist anymore either. Social media is being used for good for once in some ways. So I like that too. (laughs) It's still a strange time. We're navigating it together. And I think that's the purpose of all this, you know? Sure. How you respond to crisis is finds you as much as when things are normal. And it's cool to see the positive that's going on in the world right now, because it can be tough to find it sometimes. Adaptation is positive for growth. And, you know, it's just sometimes it requires a lot of pain and discomfort. But of course, the tabletop community will always be forever changed for this. And I'm interested to see where that goes as well. And I think guiding it positively is the way to go right now. So that's my only intention. So today on Fury's Finest, we're going to be discussing Zach's approach to content creation and what Team Covenant's bringing to the community of Marvel Crest Book Hall, but also Gen Con spoilers. (laughs) 
it's Man, kind of the forefront of our mind. Did we not? Definitely a bomb. And if you guys listened to our last episode, Chris and I went through every single reveal in as chronological order as we could. We had to temper our excitement, Zach, because there was so much content. You know, since we're kind of a half and half lore and gameplay podcast, it's so hard for us to not just do a deep dive right there on Ghost Rider. I mean, just pull back, you know, pull back. <laughs> Don't do it. Save it for later. You know, it's just when it's so exciting. And we said it in our last episode. I'm going to say it again. I really do think Atomic Mass won Gen Con. And not just for the obvious reasons of the amount of reveals, but I think they won Gen Con for their interaction with their community. Yeah, I think they did a stellar job. I couldn't hop on to social media that weekend without seeing something about Crisis Protocol. You know, on all my streams, I follow a ton of people in the tabletop industry. The fact that that kept showing up, and it wasn't just me seeing Atomic Mass, right? It was me seeing all kinds of people that I know from all, all parts of the industry talking about it. It's exciting. Speaking of adaptation, right? One of the things we've seen, you start looking at one of the topics we talked about in our podcast quite a bit was we called it the game outside the game. And this is referring to the concept of like, what can you do with a game when you can't play it? And, you know, a really good mm-hmm. example of the opposite of Crisis Protocol to me is actually Keyforge. We played that on stream today. Right. And the problem with the, the upside of Keyforge, it's a unique deck game. You buy a $10 deck. It's a pre-built deck. You play it. Is that there's no collecting like specific cards. There's no deck building. There's no tweaking. There's no meta in that way. You can just walk in, pay 10 bucks. You have a deck just as good as anybody else you're ready to play. The downside of that is that what you can do with Keyforge when you're not playing Keyforge is really just about nothing. Mm, I like where this is going. There's no collecting. There's no deck building to it, right? I mean, you can kind of hunt for decks online for specific cards and combos that you want, I, I kind of. But then Crisis Protocol, really, it has a lot you can do when you're not yes. playing the game. One of those specifically, of course, is painting and hobbying. So assembly, painting customization, etc. But then another thing is that, you know, in that game particularly, it has the benefit of list building, of scenario building, etc. And so that's where, like, I think I recently saw... Did Atomic Mass recently post a way to basically play a solo version of the game? For a couple of the scenarios and stuff, yeah. The Ultron and Thanos scenarios. I think that's incredibly smart, right? And we've mm-hmm. seen a huge reaction to games like Marvel Champions and Arkham Horror. Those are cooperative yes. card games that you can also play solo if you want to play it, or you can play with one person, right? Because you just have your tight little social groups of people to play with. And Crisis Protocols, you know, the same way. But the best part of Keyforge is that you could walk into a store and play a sealed event for 10 bucks. The best part of Crisis Protocol, it's like, and you start seeing this, right? And is just how much you can do with a hobby. Myself, right? I, we've been streaming five days a week and I've been playing a ton of games. But at the same time, I actually, with no social obligations, with no evening time stuff going on, I completely overhauled my paint setup, my brushes setup. I've been yeah. painting this so much more since all this went down. And that's something that's that, fantastic. Like, had this not happened, I probably would never have gone. It would have taken me like 10 years to get as far as I got this the past six months in terms of like what I'm capable of doing painting and how serious I was about it and how much time I was spending doing it. And I think that's a positive spin on the time as well. It's like I've been doing similar things, painting, making terrain, working on future boards. Even if we can't stream right now or play on Fury's Finest, I can work on a future board and just when we can play, it's ready to go. And it's not something like I can't really play much Christ Protocol right now, so it's done. No, it's a shifting of gears. It's like, okay, I'm going to be doing more podcast content, more editing more production, more terrain making, more painting, just enjoying the game as much as possible. And, you know, I've talked about on the show a lot, Zach, one of my favorite parts of Crisis Protocol, which is so different from other miniatures games, is it doesn't have that, what I call the crouch on one knee photographer's pose line of sight. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it doesn't have that. 
And in not having that, you can spend more time on alternate basing, alternate changes to models. For instance, I put my Valkyrie on her Pegasus, you know, that's possible because the Pegasus is massive. And of course it would like, if that was in Legion, like line of sight would be all over the place. Shoot that wing, shoot that wing. It doesn't matter in Christ protocol because the way the line of sight rules are and the cover rules and everything is so simple. It's so streamlined. So it gives you a lot of freedom of hobbying too. So if you want to do some extra hobbying, which has always been my favorite part and the part I'm actually the best at. I'm actually a lot worse at painting. <laughs> now would be a great time to do it, you know? Sure. I mean, rebase some models, you know, add some elements on the bases. I did for my Black Order. Everybody has skulls and good things like that. It's just a pivoting of your attention, I guess is a way to say it. It is a little unfortunate because we don't get to play as much. Then, of course, at the same time, communities like the TTS community have really taken off. So in a weird way, it's kind of like all your face-to-face time you can devote to the hobbying or listening to podcasts or watching videos of great content creators. And then when you do play, play with some friends on TTS or something. And you're kind of netting time out of this, which is really interesting. You know, going back to your original point about Atomic Mass kind of flexing on Gen Con, so to speak, I think a big part of it is they were ultimately set up in my mind to win this Gen Con. And by win, I mean just perform very well and do themselves a huge favor from a publicity standpoint for a few reasons, right? The game came out a year ago. And so right now, you can imagine if you were a publisher in Tabletop, launching a new game into the current environment would be pretty terrifying, particularly a new game that requires like community driven uh, components, right? Events and whatnot. You know, if you imagine if Crisis Protocol got delayed a year, I'm not even sure they announced it at Gen Con. Because Mm. announcing a game into the current environment is like such a risk, in my opinion. So what that means, though, is that you look at Gen Con and it's like, tell me the top five new games that got announced from Gen Con. I doubt you can actually give me a list of five. I'm not actually. It's a rhetorical question. So... Well, and most of my answers would be like follow-ups to past games, which aren't really real answers. You know what I mean? Like sure. Eric Lang's new game, Zombicide's second edition. That's not fair. As you're saying, brand new clean site games, right? Because there's not much new going on. The other thing that happens is I feel like Atomic Mass did a really, really great job in the first 12 months of laying solid groundwork. But also, right. I think a lot of publishers fall in the trap of they basically want to spike as much success as they can up front. That's definitely fine to do, especially when you have like a board game where like a lot of those sales and a lot of the hype cycle is going to start up front. With an expandable, like a game is going to keep going. I think a lot of companies fail to really think about how to sustain momentum and success. Mm. And I don't ever feel like Atomic Mass ever pushed too hard. Pushing too hard as an example would have been drop the core set, drop 20 models in that first three months and pick all your best, right? I mean, go to the nines. And so what happens is that we get a year in. Drop Thanos immediately. Even all the X-Men, right? So they basically get a year in. And I think the past six months has been really incredible for the hobby of painting. And people that were previously playing anything, right? No matter what else it was, all of a sudden, stuck at home, can't play whatever it is they're playing. You know, maybe they already paint or maybe they've always wanted to paint. And then it's like, oh, here's Crisis Protocol. I can buy a core set and get Captain America and Iron Man and Spider-Man and Ultron and Black Widow and Captain Marvel. Great core set. I feel like a lot of people during that lead-in were starting to get into the game or people that had already bought in just hadn't had the time to actually hobby. At least for me, having painted models that I'm proud of makes me so much more likely to want to play versus if I know I've got a big pile of bra plastic sitting over there. Oh, it's essential for me. It makes me feel like I'm behind 
And so then the game kind of becomes an obligation instead of a fun hobby. And so I think a lot of people had a chance to catch up. I think a lot of people were able to get in who maybe weren't in before, you know, the pandemic hit. And right. then you take all that and then you go into Gen Con where a lot of publishers aren't going to want to release a new game, right? A lot of publishers aren't even going to want to release necessarily major expansions. I think miniatures games have the best of this because oh, yeah. people are buying miniatures, they're buying paints, they're buying brushes, they're doing the whole thing. And then you also have them just ready to go, right? <laughs> I mean, it's X-Men, it's Daredevil. It's out of control. They'd already done a really good job, right? Like right yeah. now, I'm, a, I'm about to get the Goblin and Miles Morales and Gwen. Three of my favorite models. My goodness, I'm and so characters. pumped. Yeah. Doctor Strange is coming out soon. Already excited about that. All of a sudden, then they just start dropping. I mean, X-Men is the creme de la creme. It's the dream. But then they just kept going all weekend. The Defenders, like affiliation, they just kept dropping bombs left and right. And then... Oh, I know. Then... Sorry to just go on a rant here up front. You started talking about Gen Con. It's an exciting time, yeah. But then they also did what I think you were referencing earlier, which is they kind of let down the guard. Yes. And they had a bunch of panels and they had a bunch of content. And instead of it being kind of a more formal presentation and a glass case with a bunch of miniatures in it and just trying to look like a polished company. Exactly. It's like, we're humans. We care about this. We run this company. Here's our vision. Here's our philosophy behind our design. Very personal. They're in their homes or their basements or wherever it was they were shooting and filming. So good. And then all of a sudden it's like, You have a phenomenal looking game, a great game with a great back catalog of miniatures that you can get. You have an exciting lineup of stuff you can expect over the next year. And then now you also get to know these guys that obviously super care about what they're doing and want to create a phenomenal game with phenomenal models. And it's like, why wouldn't you want to support this, right? I mean, what's, what's holding you back at this point? Your favorite hero probably exists. You can buy that. Oh, yes. And the game is, is fantastic. So like, let's do this. Yeah. And I think that pairing of, the hominess and the transparency, as you just mentioned, also paired with, which we talked about on our last episode, they just laid it all on the table. Like, this is what the next year is going to be. And this is something, Zach, as a devoted FFG miniatures player, <laughs> I am not used to. They'll give you a little elbow nudge like, Anakin's coming, huh? Or maybe he's not. And we don't know <laughs> when it is. It might be quarter three, quarter four, quarter sure. six. It's like, this quarter six exists. You just made that up. It's just a different animal with Christ Protocol, I think because they did so much time of prep before the game even was announced at last Gen Con. Because what happened at last Gen Con, everything in that case has come out to now. Yeah. We didn't get all the cards. We didn't get all the information. But you saw like the Guardians in that case. And we knew that later in the year we're going to get their cards and things like that. It's almost like up front, they're just completely open and transparent. They're like, here it is for the next year. And then throughout the year, like you mentioned, they have consistency of great content where they slowly unveil the details of these things. I'm just not used to that whole, this is exactly what you're getting over the next year, and this is what's going to happen. And I know a lot of that's like, the boat's always delayed from China and all these things. It's just completely different because I feel like they're so honest up front. I mean, of course I want to see the next spoiler, like if it's a detailed card or taxes card for a certain character. But when I sit here and I think, oh man, one of my favorite villains in all of Marvel has been unveiled on a card, Carnage. I've not seen his model yet. I've not seen his card or anything. But the way Atomic Mass has been doing things, I know that he's not going to come out in the next three years. He's going to come out probably in the next six months to a year or a year and a half at most. Because they wouldn't show that if he wasn't part of that package, you know? And we will see his model eventually. It'll be incredible. It'll be out of control. 
I think that pairing of just everything up front and then nice spread of honesty throughout the year is really nice too. And it's a nice change as a miniatures gamer here because I'm not used to it. I'm never used to also consistency with releases. And I know that's a whole nother conversation for another podcast, but that just blows me away. They got behind on COVID. Everything came out post-COVID, basically when shipping went back. And now they're right back on track. Goblin and Strange are right where they were supposed to be. Sure. It's just kind of out of control. And you also mentioned Miles, Gwen, Goblin, and Strange. Those three boxes we're about to get over the next couple of weeks, that's three new affiliations in the game. Just absurd. <laughs> People can't see your face right now, but your yeah. mind is blown. Oh, yeah. I've got my work cut out for me on this show, but... The game is just opening up so much, so I'm very excited about it. And what more can we say? So before we get too deep into Gen Con stuff, Zach, because I do want to hear a couple of your high points. I've got a little bit of business to attend to. Fury's Finest is sponsored by Discount Games, Inc. Go to DiscountGamesInc.com for all of your Marvel, Crisis Protocol, and miniature gaming needs. Of course, our patrons support Fury's Finest at Patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. If you enjoy the show, consider supporting it with a monthly contribution. And we'd like to thank all of our patrons for the support. Chris and I have been saying this over and over and over again the last couple of months, but the people who are patrons right now, I mean, you obviously really mean it because these are hard times. People are losing their jobs. Chris and I both lost our jobs at one point in the recent past. So uh, it means a lot. Huge thank you to our new patron this week, Jose. Thank you, Jose. And of course, thank you to our episode producer, Martin C. Okay, Zach, we got to get into this Gen Con. There were so many things revealed. We've already hinted at a lot of them. We've talked about a lot of them. If you can name a couple high points or a couple things that caught your eye off the bat, maybe a particular character or model, some ideas you have from them in the game, what speaks to you right now with all this <laughs> giant amount of information that's almost too hard to process? You mentioned it earlier, but I think one of the cool things that Atomic Mass is leaning into, and it gets me excited, is going back to last Gen Con, 2019. You know, they had a ton of models in that case. And we yeah. saw a, a lot of the models that came out of the past year. And then this Gen Con, they revealed a lot of models that are going to come out of the next year. And so one of the best things about a miniatures game, of course, is the miniatures. And I think miniatures in a miniatures game, it's, it's what, for me at least, has always compelled me to get into a miniatures game. You know, the first thing I'm looking at is not necessarily the rules or how the game plays. Right. It's like, give me the awesome epic model that's going to make me spend 30 hours painting it so that I get really excited about this game. Oh, yes. The thing they're leaning into is that they're showing us a lot of models, but again, they're not showing us a ton of the actual like in-game content. They're not showing us all the stat cards or all the objectives or no. all of the scenarios just or all some. of the crisis cards. When I'm just looking at strictly models, as a person, I grew up playing games, so like I loved the time frame where stuff would come out and you didn't know 100% what all was coming out or what all was in it. So in this case, right, with Crisis Protocol, I, I don't really pay attention to like the spoilers, but I always look yeah. at the models when they're getting posted about, of course. And so things I'm super excited about, I did see a couple of the affiliations. Ever since they said it as an idea, I was super pumped about the Spidey Villains affiliation. Oh, yeah. Just tops. I saw the Defenders affiliation, which I got really excited about. Saw right. Spider-Man on that list, so I was happy about that. Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, going to the models, uh, I think the things I'm most excited about, and I was pre-most excited about it, then they delivered on the models for these. Magneto, fantastic. I can't oh, wait. I love Magneto as a character. I love the model, Magneto. Gimme, gimme, gimme. I cannot get over that model. I can't it's stop It's so good. Yeah, it's so good. It really is just so good. 
Well, you know, he comes with additional bases with floating terrain on them. So that's a whole new mechanic for the game where he has small bases that follow him or stay with him. We talked about it in Grape Death last episode. So much speculation. It's a new mechanic, arguably, you know. He has to interact with the terrain in a way that's way different than everyone else. It's so instrumental to how he plays Mm -hmm. the game or how he exists in the universe. And then, you know, my my favorite X-Men on the hero side has, has always been Cyclops. So I think they did an incredible job with Cyclops. I like that they did alternate sculpts on the head. Same with Wolverine. That allows you to kind of play one way or another. You know, with the the models they're doing, you never know quite which part of the timeline they're going to pull from and which universe and which vibe. (laughs) But, you know, safe to say, I think for all of of the uh, 90s X-Men cartoon fans, yeah. Uh, this is just like a dream come true. So yes, both Wolverine and Cyclops and honestly, I mean, Storm looks awesome. I always loved Beast. I love that they gave him the book with the glasses version. That's definitely what I'll be doing. Yeah, Yeah. definitely exactly what I'll be doing. So the X-Men look incredible. You know, I haven't even touched like Kingpin or Daredevil, etc. Across the board, that was the thing. I mean, like, is She-Hulk? Literally everything they announced. Because, like, you know, for me, completely candid, the past year of, of releases, not to self-market or anything, but we, we have a subscription service where you can sign up to just automatically right. get every everything that comes out. And I sign up for a lot of subscriptions for the games because we, we usually only support slash carry slash do content for games that we're passionate about. So Yes, obviously. Most of the time I have subscriptions for most of the games that we're, we're covering. And so Crisis Protocol, actually, at first I didn't, I didn't even have a subscription because I got the core set and then I wasn't sure whether or not I wanted all the Wakanda faction. I wanted right. Asgard. You picked up Venom, though. I did pick up Venom and I, I picked up Smart Hulk. Boy. I did pick up Thor and Valkyrie. I love Valkyrie. Mm. So I was picking and choosing. And then I signed up for one because it was like, okay, there's a series of models I definitely want. So particularly, I didn't know if I wanted Asgard. And I also didn't know if I wanted all the Thanos stuff. I did get Thanos because his model's too cool to deny. But like, I don't really have any intent on playing, you know, Black Dwarf and Proxima and all okay. that kind of stuff. And that's fine, right? Miniatures games, it's like one of the things that's typical, and I think Crisis Protocol did this very well, but it's really normal to play a certain faction or a certain sub-faction or heroes. I was like, okay, I love the Avengers. I love Captain America. He's my favorite hero. I love Spider-Man and all the spider stuff. So, like, I'm going to do all the spider stuff. Yes, of course. And I was like, from there, I'm just going to pick and choose. Just (laughs) pick and choose what what I told yourself. Yeah. And so then it was like, okay, it's going to be Miles Morales, Spider-Man, and Spider-Gwen, and Goblin. And Doctor Strange is after that. So then I was like, I'm going to sign up because I know I want all this stuff and we'll see where it goes from there. And then Gen Con hit and it was like everything they announced I want, right? Which is impressive because literally two months ago, I was like, I'm going to pick and choose. And then it turned into, all right, well, I guess I'll just keep my subscription because there's not a single thing they announced that I don't want. Not one. And what's great about this, Zach, is I don't think all these are A-lister heroes and villains. And that's what's so exciting. They have gotten me as a huge Marvel fan, and obviously the show, we do super deep dives on lore and history and everything. They've gotten me more into Marvel than I ever thought I would be. Because as you said, like I'm a huge Avengers fan, and I'm an insane Spider-Man fan. Obviously, X-Men's a whole other category, which I'm a super fan of. With just the regular normal Marvel stuff, it's usually lower tier for me. No. Not with this. Like, <laughs> I'm caring more about the Defenders than I ever have, and I've always found them great. Daredevil's actually a favorite of mine, because the more I read of him, I learn that he is just adult Spider-Man, which is a great concept <laughs> for a story. It's also a great concept for Stan Lee to be like, we want to have Spider-Man meet Batman and merge those together. That's basically Daredevil. Yeah, I'm excited about everything, too, because this game is so good. 
And this game is so balanced. So another thing I want to talk about while we're here, you don't need every model to even play this game competitively. Every three threat character is pretty much balanced. Sorry, Crossbones. <laughs> and Crossbones would be too good if he's a medium move. So I don't know how you fix it. The game is so balanced that you can pick and choose models and you won't feel hamstring to determine or something, but that's not even an issue right now, you know? And then sure. if you play on TTS or something, you've got the full bag and you can do all that. But really it's like, what do you want a hobby? What interests your fantasy? And then how creative can you get with your list building? Because the greatest thing about this game is as long as you have one more than half of your team be one affiliation, you can have a new team. So you could choose the same three defenders every time and change the last two every time. And you still have a defenders team. Some people think I have to have every single model because of that. You also come to the game on a budget and you could only play spider foes, spider villains, cabal and Avengers with that corset. And you can make it work every time. And that's kind of insane for a miniatures game. Cause I'm not used to that either. You know, it's like, Oh, got to buy three sets of this for just the one sniper. That's on all three boxes. You know what I mean? And just all these things. Absolutely. I never finished my thought from earlier, but like ultimately one of the best things they did with crisis protocol was not have factions in the same way that a typical miniatures game does and not have grunt units in the same way a typical miniatures game does. Oh, thank goodness. You need one of any model, right? And any model can play on any list that you want to play it on. And so choose your favorite 10 and let's go. And Mm -hmm. there's some affiliation stuff. As you said, you don't have to play the affiliations to do well. And it's really easy to hit affiliation too. Yeah, because if you have five super, models, super easy. just make three of them at affiliation. You're right. A lot of people are playing Black Order right now without Thanos, and it's fine because they're great models by themselves. Yeah. I just think that makes the game as deep or as shallow as you want it. And that's actually great because it makes casual people really enjoy it. They're watching the MCU. They're painting models for the first time in their life. They're playing it. They never might even pick up a comic book. That's fine. And then there's people who are super hardcore comic book fans their whole life that are picking this up and they're like, well, I kind of want every model. <laughs> they might not even be miniatures gamers. They might just be interested in that element. And then now they're playing this great miniatures game that is so easy to learn and so hard to master, which is just yeah. great. So any other standouts from Gen Con? So you mentioned X-Men. I guess a good question for me while you're on X-Men is, do you have any head sculpts in mind? You talked about Beast with the book. Are you going to do Scott with the helmet or with his hair out? Are you going to do Logan with the helmet or his his chops out? I'll probably lean pretty heavy 90s cartoon vibes. So I like Wolverine with the mask on myself and I like Beast with the book. I'm not sure on Cyclops yet, but yeah. the, probably we'll go without the hair, but we'll, we'll You're see. You're going to go helmet, yeah. I, but we'll see. I, I also, I'm doing a a non, like I'm not doing traditional color scheme. Going into it, I think we'll get into this in a little bit. So yeah, I, I don't will. necessarily want to cover this ground. Okay, we'll, we'll get back to that. Yeah. We'll, we'll get back to that. Yeah. Some of these characters are going to fit your color scheme great, Zach. You got Punisher, I, you got Bullseye, yeah. Ghost Rider. Man, Ghost Rider would look slick in your colors. It's a monochromatic Ghost Rider. I like the models that you don't expect to be in that. Like I, I recently finished my Thor. Right. I think he looks like Thor. Obviously, his model looks like Thor, at least. Yeah, we'll, we'll dive into the pain in a minute, I, I assume. He gave me strong Kid Icarus meets Luke Skywalker New Hope vibes, which I think is great. Which is, I think it's great. A Greek vibe meeting Luke Skywalker from New Hope. Someone sent me the like, you know, the like more artistically a new hope luke where he's like reaching up into the sky and of he's course. got the white on yeah That's exactly the, what I people were people were talking about that so i i didn't intend that to happen it just happened you know, like I wasn't like, this is what I want to look like. I That's what it came out like. So it's just in my brain, I guess. It's subliminal. It happens to all of us diehard Star Wars fans. All right, Zach, let's start at the beginning. Let's give some background if someone doesn't know who you are. So who is Zach Bunn and what do you do? I know that's a very broad question. Sure. 
This is not an interview for a job, so you're you're good. <laughs> Who is Zach Bond is a fun question. I haven't really, I don't know if I've ever answered that, strictly speaking. You take it wherever you want. How many parts coffee meets gaming? That's right. Coffee games. Now, I, I think, you know, if I were outside looking in, describing myself, I'm ultimately a small town Oklahoma kid who grew up playing tabletop games and found Pokemon when I was a kid. Right. I, I started hosting Pokemon, you know, leagues and tournaments out of the back of my uncle's movie rental store when I was 10 because we were in a small town and we didn't have a game store. And so I talked to my grandma and my aunts and I got old dining tables and old dining chairs and he had this space in the back of the store. From there, right, built tabletop communities and fell in love with tabletop as a, a medium for connecting with people and, you know, quickly discovered like my best friends were all pretty much from this hobby and my best memories and the road trips and all the great stuff of tabletop. And then looking around as the world kind of became more and more digital, really seeing that a lot of people I knew went to college and then got a job and then kind of got really lonely because they just would go to work. And then, you know, when you're 28, 29, a lot of people, it's like, it doesn't make sense to like go hang out at bars anymore or go, you know, it's just like, it's just a weird space to be in. And then, you know, I I get to essentially seeing people go more digital, right? I, I started Covenant when I was 18 at college. It was really born out of frustration. I moved to Tulsa to come to college and order some stuff online and they sent me the wrong stuff and the, the service was bad and then I went to a game store locally to play in a tournament and they had you know cheap tables and it was crowded and there were a lot of kids in there playing Pokemon right. and it just felt like no one cared about this thing that was super important to me and my friends so yeah some of those game stores still have not run a vacuum to this day yeah it's unfortunate it, it's it just, just gets like a, to me you know, it's it gets a, to a me. lack of respect for something that I think is incredibly important and super meaningful so you know as Covenant's a huge part of my history the Covenant was the name of our team growing up in high school. It was what competitive teams did, right? That's where Team Covenant comes from. And started Covenant really just to try to to do tabletop well. Mm-hmm. And that was back in 2007. So there were some really interesting things happening at the time. But a few of the things that were interesting that were happening is in 2006, I believe, is when a little site called YouTube started existing. And then around that same time, website called Facebook was popping up, but you had to have a .edu email address to sign up for it. At the same time, I, I was originally going to, I was going to college to become a programmer. And then I had a really influential business teacher. So I switched my major to business and I could build websites and I was frustrated with these experiences. So I was like, I can just do all this better. So Covenant was born and we started out very early on. We were selling singles for a collectible game online and then we were creating content. I actually first started doing some writing for a company called Wizards of the Coast when I was 14 for the Star Wars TCG when I was That's a right. kid. I placed pretty high in a tournament and they had everyone in the top four writing an article about their deck. And the guy who was in charge of it liked how I wrote about my deck and asked if I want to do more. And so I started writing articles for them and that was just pretty natural. And then Steven, who's the one of the co-founders of the company, I looped him in pretty quick. And he at the time was writing on this website called Zanga. Uh, oh, it's yes. like a, a online blog journal thing. And he was writing all this stuff, politics. He's, he got a philosophy degree. So he was writing about all kinds of stuff. And I was like, hey, we played games growing up together. Like, let's play this these games together. And I want to do blogs and, and whatnot. And then fortunately, his brother, Jonathan, was working at the news at the time. So he had cameras and all this stuff. And he was like, uh, we could be the ESPN of tabletop. Was That was something he said early on. So we started <laughs> creating videos and YouTube was new and stuff. 
And the rest kind of spins out from there. And there's a whole long story that I won't necessarily get into. But ultimately, even now being from Tulsa, I think Tulsa is a small town to most of the world. I'd say I'm a small town kid who loves tabletop and thinks it's incredibly important. And it's a, a powerful medium for connecting people. And it's something that I think, you know, I, in an ideal world, playing tabletop games with people and sharing in this hobby and being a part of this community is as normal as grabbing a coffee or going to a movie. Correct. And I think it can be. I think we've seen, you know, fortunately, a lot of things bounced in my direction in the past 20 years. And by that, I mean, like, when I was a kid, I loved Star Wars, and that was really nerdy and geeky. And you didn't really talk about it, right, in, in front of a lot of people, necessarily. Yeah, we have, a, we have a disagreement on this. Zach and I do. We've had this conversation many times. But I think part of it is because you grew up in a small town. I grew up in Tulsa. Because sure. there was very rich groups of Star Wars fans and Lord of the Rings fans and stuff back in the early 90s, you know, which is where my fandom was like so over the top, you know, before special editions. For me, it's like there were definitely groups of people. It wasn't that like there weren't people that were into it or it was, wasn't okay to talk about. But it was definitely like nerdy and nerdy in the way with like a negative connotation, right? I think that's what I mean. I think nerdy in a small town is different from nerdy in a big city or even a medium-sized city. I was going to say in a, in a slightly not so small town. But like, you know, I guess the, the thing about it is like today, I think there are significantly more people that I know that I, I would consider not nerdy who enjoy and understand and know what Marvel is and who Captain Marvel is. Sure. And Star Wars, right? And that read comics and that paint miniatures, even tabletop is compared to the 90s, is not like a a niche hobby in like kind of a basement store that's kind of dirty. The whole thing is transformed. The mere fact that you can buy board games at Target and Walmart and Barnes and Noble. Yes. I mean, back in the 90s, it was monopoly or bust, right? Like Mm -hmm. it, it just didn't exist. So I think that there's definitely is, it's normalized a lot more. Because, mm-hmm. you know, as a kid, there were the 90s cartoons of X-Men and Spider-Man and Batman. All those were incredible cartoon series. Yes. So it's not that it didn't exist, but at the same time, like, I think the fandom, particularly among adults, right? I, I think that's another piece of this for me is like, I don't think in 1990, there were a ton of 35-year-olds who were super into X-Men. And I think there's way more of them today. Mm. Um, so... You know, I don't have the numbers on it. That's just a feeling that I have. Well, nerd culture has definitely become widely accepted by the general public, and some super nerds don't like that. To me, being a nerd is not like being super weird or super, you know, over the top, or it's just like having extreme passion for anything. When you kind of become a nerd in one area, if you're multi-passionate about multicultural and hobbies, case in point, part of my life, you kind of get nerdy in every aspect. So it's kind of interesting that like nerd culture as in the ideas and things like Spider-Man and Star Wars and stuff, I've of course made it everywhere. And they've always been there, especially Spider-Man, Star Wars, probably not a good example. (laughs) Maybe more of just the generalized Marvel, like you said, and even X-Men is a good example, or, you know, some elements of other parts of nerd culture have become really widespread But then you can still be super, super passionate and super nerdy about certain things like we are as we're having a tabletop discussion, as we're creating content for tabletop and, you know, trying to get that laser focus, you know, and less of that wide breath. So it's a great time because I think it's the best time in the world to be a tabletop gamer for new tabletop gamers and old tabletop gamers, and especially for miniatures, Zach. So I think miniatures have improved the floor and the ceiling for miniatures gaming 
playing them and putting them together and learning to find communities and all that stuff just within 10 years has advanced so much. You know what I mean? And case in point right now, we're in the middle of pandemic and everybody in MCP feels so close because there's so much sharing and communication and, you know, battle reports, podcasts, all this stuff, not the way it was in the mid nineties with 40 K and things like that. It was very <laughs> closed off, you know, almost elitist at times and also really tough. Cause it's like, where do I begin? How do I put models together? Do I need this type of glue? Do I cut here? Do I not, you know, that's kind of all been brought out, which is great. YouTube's a wonderful tool for that as well. So that's exciting. So something I want to get in with the other part of Zach Ben, which we haven't talked about yet, which of course is where you and I's paths have crossed outside of the world of Star Wars, but how do you start playing games competitively and wasn't immediately a passion because 2012 is when you and I met and we played games competitively. And what's really funny is I had a really deep board game background, but no card game background really at all. So my approach to card games and stuff, apparently (laughs) around you guys being super card gamers was very off the wall. It worked for me in certain ways and worked for me not in other ways, but that's the part of Zach Bond that's very important to me is, yeah, you're a content creator. Yeah, you like to make the tabletop community better, but let's take all that away. You're also just a competitive player, completely <laughs> separate from that. So how'd you get sure. into that, and where's that kind of evolved to? Like I said earlier, the thing that really got me into tabletop proper, you know, when I was a little kid, I'd play pickup sticks and Sorry and Monopoly and even poker with my uncle and my aunts and stuff. But Pokemon is what really got me in. And when I first started playing Pokemon, and I'm doing air quotes now, right. I didn't actually even play. It was just collecting at first because I played the Game Boy game. That's basically all I did. Yeah, my mom got me packs of cards and it was like, oh, you can collect physical Pokemon cards. This is cool. Super cool. You know, I, I eventually played Pokemon with a lot of my friends and out of the back of my uncle's movie store. But the game that actually got me into competitive tabletop was the Star Wars trading card game. So we got into that game and Star Wars is something I had grown up you know, loving. It's funny at the time I was, I think 12, no, I was 13 when that game came out. Okay. And I thought, you know, it was like, oh, Star Wars, this is like the thing I've loved my whole life. You know, at 13, because I had been into Star Wars for five or six years. But all that to say, that was the game. It came out and the prequels were coming out. The first set of that game was unfortunately based on Attack of the Clones. The movie wasn't out yet, Attack of the Clones, but it was based on it. So it was coming out. You're seeing stuff from the movie before it came out. I had, you know, met Steven, one of the co-founders of Covenant playing Pokemon, but ultimately that was the game we both both got into on the competitive level. So, you know, we were bringing our decks, we were playing before school, we were playing at lunch, we were playing after school, we were begging our parents to take us to the weekly meetup in Tulsa, like 45 minutes away to play in these tournaments. We were hitching rides with friends to get to go who could drive at the time. And that's where like so many of our, uh, you know, I think fondest members, that's where Steve and I got really close We'd travel, we'd play in these events. That's when I, you know, did well enough at one to write an article about it and started writing about it. And that's when it just kind of, the dial got turned up to an 11. You know what I mean? Like, it was just like, that was next level. But it was interesting because we didn't have a game store in our town. So we had a, a meta of like, you know, 8 to 12 people that played at the back of my uncle's movie store for the Star Wars card game. It was kind of weird because I grew up in the industry, not really in the industry. We were kind of on the side of it. And then when I came full face, you know, up against it when I was 18, it was just kind of like a shock to the system that like this is how people were, were dealing with this. And so really from, from the time Star Wars TCG hit, uh, we, we came in to card games from the competitive side. And the assumption was that it's competitive. This is how people play it. This is how it goes. You go to tournaments. This is what it looks like. 
And then over time, you know, when, when I, you and I met back in 2012, competitive was naturally how we approached everything. Right. And it, it's interesting, though, because, like, we always didn't play Magic. And Magic is kind of the, like, the peak competitive card game. Because we were always kind of on, like, this tier two card game list, I, I think it kept us from taking it, you know, when people say competitive, there's a lot of definitions, but it, it kept us from taking it too seriously. Yes. We were always there to have fun, and we had fun competing against each other. But we, it never got, you know, toxic or it never got so serious that we were just grinding to grind. And so I, I think that was really helpful. But, you know, you coming into the environment from a board game background, it was like, man, what a year too. 2012, the LCG and X-Wing dropping, that's that's what made me show up because those games yeah. just grabbed my attention immediately. I'd never even seen a card game like the LCG. I, of course, played the Young Jedi Knights card game and I played Pokemon casually, but I never like played them in tournament settings and it just never was my cup of tea. It was always like yeah. more games like Axis and Allies stuff because that's what I grew up on. Like I grew up on like heavier board games for the 80s and 90s, <laughs> now not as heavy at all. And then I was playing games with you guys like the LCG and Star Wars X-Wing, which were just blowing my mind because there was nothing like that I'd ever seen before. And in a weird way, they were a inception point for a lot of game design. X-Wing is one of the greatest games of all time. And I think the Star Wars LCG is, it's oh, such a great first card game, honestly. Hmm. You know, with the way the objective sets work and the way the deck building work. Yes. My least favorite part of card games. Still. One, that's so funny. That's one of my favorite part of card games, right? Because like wow. over the year, <laughs> you're just shaking your head. I'd rather give me a new deck every time and I just jump in and I learn it and I play it. And But yeah, I know it's a big card gamer thing. Interestingly, though, I think our, our favorite way to play card games, and that's why I like collectible card games in general, is sealed and draft. Because yes. it's exactly that, right? You have a limited pool of cards, you build with that, you play, and then you if adapt. you don't like your deck, you do it again. You rinse and repeat. <laughs> All that said, you know, competitive games, it started early for me. And then over time, I like challenging myself in that way, right? Like a lot of times, and that's what it's different for me with Crisis Protocol, honestly. Like that's a, that's a story that's worth, worth telling. So uh, for most games that I've ever played, it's like, I enjoy the challenge of a local meta and pushing myself and going to regionals or worlds or whatever and trying to basically perform as well as I can. But it's always with the caveat of like, I won't play with things that I'm not having fun with. So, you know, Star Wars LCG, that first Worlds, I didn't play with Sleuth Scouts because I thought they were bogus. Right. It would have been a lot easier if I had. It just would have been. It's a balance, but... Ultimately, Crisis Protocol is just a totally different different experience for me, okay. which is cool. So how's it different? Because I would completely agree with you that I'm the same way competitive gamer-wise. I have to fully enjoy what I'm playing. I have to sit down and love it. You know, if Star Wars LCG, if like the Rebel Commanders and Operatives for some reason was ever the best thing, which it never was, but say it was, I just would have no interest whatsoever. You know, give me the Jedi, give me the Sith. Yeah. It's what you love, I think, fuels your passion and fuels maybe your reps, too. It fuels my reps with MCP. Sure. I mean, if you love it, you're more likely to want to keep playing it. And some people love the grind, and that's fine. They do. But I never really necessarily loved the grind as much as, like, I loved playing, so I was willing to play a lot all night, every weekend, yes. after school, etc. So Crisis Protocol is interesting because, honestly, when I first got into Crisis Protocol, the main reason I was getting into Crisis Protocol was the hobby element. So a few of my really good friends, my brother Tim and my friend James, come to the store as well since 2012. Oh, you can thank them for infecting me. So With Crisis Protocol? Yeah, because I saw the That's so good. I saw pictures of the game and I saw gameplay videos. I saw Crabox, someone I really respect and follow in the Armada X-Wing community and all that. He was showing gameplay videos and stuff from Gen Con and I was just like, I have to turn this off. 
I have to turn this off. I'm going to be way too into this. I already know it. I don't have the money. <laughs> I don't have the time right now. Because as you know, I put everything I can into a game. Like if I can create content for it, I will. I really had a good conversation with Tim Bunn about this game. He got you. James as well on the side. Real Southpaw. And James is one of our patrons. In fact, the first patron. So thank you, James. All right. I'm, I'm talking about a legend here and exactly. I didn't even know it. You're right. Even if you didn't play that much, the hobby element is so good. It's so fun. Would I buy all these Spider-Man models if I didn't play this game or create content for it? Probably. So for me, I really, since a long time ago, we've been having paint day at the store. Growing up as a kid, one thing I, I liked to do a lot was draw. I would sketch and particularly like Dragon Ball Z characters and Marvel characters. I had that like, learn how to draw your, your favorite heroes book. Someone posted a picture of it the other day. I was like, I had that. And it's like, yes. yeah, we all did. We all did. Um, I always love to draw and I love to paint. And uh, somewhere along the way, that, that kind of fell by the wayside. When we opened the store, we, we started looking at games that you could assemble and paint and that kind of stuff. And it was War Machine and Infinity. None of those games ever really hooked me. And we had a ton of card games, as you mentioned, coming out. We also, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, so X-Wing came out and that kind of just took over for a while. Okay. And Imperial Assault came out and that yes. was also a big deal. Definitely. We had these paint days and so I, I really enjoyed hanging out. We'd go to breakfast near the store at first watch and then we'd come hang out and have coffee and paint. And I loved it. Like literally forever since we've been doing these paint days, James and Tim and I have been looking for a game okay. that all of us wanted to play and or be involved in. And in fact, it wasn't even just a miniatures game. It was literally like, we just want one game we're all excited about that we can play together. Okay. It would be like Tim and I are really into Destiny. It wasn't really James's jam. Right? Right. James and Tim were really into Arkham Horror. I didn't get into it until recently. We started streaming it when the Very pandemic good. hit. And I, Very good. That game was fantastic. Yes. Anyways, so we never really hit. And then all of a sudden, last Gen Con, they announced Marvel Champions and Crisis Protocol. And so we were all like really excited about both of these games. Essentially, it was like, well, we're going to play Champions together. And then it's like on paint day, it's like, how cool would it be if we we're all painting Marvel superheroes? Oh, man. And so we started talking and we'll kind of come back around to my paint scheme. And I really like have mad respect for James and Tim for their ability to paint. Oh, yes. They're my gurus that I go to when I need help. They're my paint day guys. They've taught me everything I know about painting. It's fantastic. So this game's coming out and I'm talking to them about like, well, I want to paint, but like... When, when I was doing Pearl Assault, I was painting all of the models like I thought they should look based on what they actually look like in the movies and, and stuff, right? And so I was like, I, I kind of want to do like something different with my models. And I don't know what it is yet. My favorite color is red, but like I've always loved like black and white as a theme. So like when you see like a, you know, like a, a white Lamborghini with black wheels or right. you see like just very clean black and white look right. on things. And so... I saw the Spider-Man model and I was like, how cool would it be if he had like black stripes with like a white suit? Yes. And James was like, black and white's hard. Very it's hard. Like, it's very hard. After I started thinking about it and stuff and looking at various outfits of various characters, like I found a Captain Marvel in a black and white outfit. Okay. And I found a, you know, various characters that are wearing black and white versions of their outfit sometimes. <laughs> and so then I was like, what if I did my entire crisis protocol in black and white and james just kind of like chuckles a little bit yeah and like james is one of the like nicest people i know so i know he's not like laughing at me right you know what i mean like he's not like this is ridiculous and so i was like what's funny and he's like well <laughs> there's only one color harder to paint than black and it's white 
Right. And black and white together is insane because like, you know, a little black gets on your white or a little white gets on your black and you got a, you got a problem. And then like neither yeah. black nor white are actually painted black or white. They're painted, you know, white's a bunch shades. of shades of gray with a highlight of white and black is a bunch of shades of gray with, a, with the shadows of black. <laughs> You're like, James, I didn't mention the third color is yellow. <laughs> <laughs> on Thor, yeah, the third yeah. color is yellow. Yeah. So my, you know, my favorite theme is is black and white, and then I do pops of color. So okay. Captain America, I did the shield as his normal shield, and then his his stripes on his stomach are are white and red. Thor, I you know, I gave him the belt and the the thing in yellow, and then the hammer is like black metal, and the helmet is black metal, and his outfit's mostly white. For some reason, I saw that cape, and I was like, that's got to be white. Like, yeah. so I just started going. Anyways, the reason I say all that is. My intention up front was, I don't care if Crisis Protocol is an awful game or a fantastic game. Marvel is an awesome universe that I love. I love these characters and these models, because that's what I saw at Gen Con at Crisis Protocol. These models are, are so good. I'm willing to buy them and paint them, even if I hate the game, right? I went into Crisis Protocol and it was like, I don't even care if I ever play the game because I'm going to buy the models and I'm going to do Hobby Day. And so honestly, you know, we got some demos, we played some stuff, and we were considering whether or not to support it from the Covenant perspective. Atomic Mass sent us an early copy of the game, and we started doing, you know, videos and streams playing the game. And we got a couple games in, and I was like, this game's actually really good. Yeah. This game's got it where it counts. It takes out all the stuff I don't like about miniatures games, and it leaves the rest. Yes. And then uh, it does just some really fantastic stuff. So... We've, we've played it, uh, you know, we played it leading up to release and we've played it several times since uh, the pandemic started on stream. Obviously, the pandemic prevents a lot of plays. But for me, it's like I came into Crisis Protocol, what I call leaned back. So 80, 90 percent of the intent is the hobby aspect. Okay. It's painting, it's assembly, and the pandemic makes it like 100 percent right now. Sure. And then 10 to 15 percent is playing. But when I have played, I've loved it and I think it's fantastic. So I'm excited now because since the pandemic started, one of my pieces of advice I always give people when they're first starting to paint, having done this several times myself, is never, ever, 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 ever. I'm thinking of that Michael Scott quote now where he's like, never have I ever once ever would I. Anyways, never start with your model you're most excited about because you're going to learn so much painting the first handful of models. Right. You'll regret painting your favorite model first every time. So Captain America is the hero I care about the most. He's the last one out of the core box I wanted to do. And when the pandemic started, I upgraded my entire painting setup, all my materials, all my equipment. And I was like, all right, I'm going to paint Cap. And I actually, I did most of my painting of Cap live on our live stream for Covenant. And those are all still available. And basically it was crazy because I never painted live, which is also terrifying to do something. Because normally we're playing games live that I'm good at and comfortable with. Right. Like we play card games, which I'm very familiar with and like it's super comfortable. But it's like now I'm painting live and telling people what I'm doing. And it's like, well, like I'm not a professional at this at all. So like, yeah, good luck to me. Yeah. I painted most of that live and I, okay. I, I did a handful of techniques that I had never done before. And I didn't have Tim and James there to like just, you know, help me along and give me advice as I was going. And one of the things I did was 
a non-metallic metal shield on cap. I watched the Serastro video and oh, yeah. I was like, all right, let's go for it. And it turned out way better than I have any business having it turn out. So that was fortunate. You know, I finished Cap and Thor. Again, it's leaned back. So I'm not in a rush and I'm just painting them and learning and like leaning into the process of learning what I can about white and black and how to paint. I feel like I've learned so much. So at this point, I'm just really excited to continue painting. And I see all these new models, right? And now all I see is like, okay, how am I going to apply my paint scheme to this, to Wolverine and to Cyclops and to She-Hulk, Daredevil, and you go down the list, and I'm just super pumped to to do it. The good news is with Daredevil and a lot of those X-Men, your color schemes are some of their costumes. You just got to look for them. Yeah. couple runs of costumes. Daredevil especially has some really great monochromatic and blues and grays and whites and blacks and stuff and some of his stuff, which is really unexpected. And they look really cool with this costume. Okay. So that's great. So you're hoping to play more and you're hoping to paint more. Is there any current models coming up in your paint queue that you're excited about? Are you trying to decide who's next? My dream teams are like Cap, Iron Man, Hulk, Thor, Spider-Man, Black Widow, like that core nucleus. Avengers. Yeah. I had already done Iron Man and Black Widow and Captain Marvel. And luckily Captain Marvel and Black Widow, I did. And I, I... It was early on in my painting black and white. And I did them in such a way that, like, I think I can fix them. (laughs) Knowing what I know now, I can just keep painting them. They're just kind of earlier on in the process than I expected. But, like, Iron Man and Spider-Man, I'm going to have to to just totally restart on. Uh, So I'm just going to dip those in. I'm going to brush them off, and I'm going to start over. It's just there's no recovery there. Okay. And then my brother Tim actually painted Hulk for me. So... He wanted to paint Hulk and he wasn't going to buy Hulk. So I let him do it. What color did you go with Hulk? He's green. So like things that need to be a certain color to make it feel like that character stayed that color. So he's just got like black shorts on. But the stuff I'm super excited about, I'm really excited about revisiting Iron Man and Spider-Man, knowing what I know now about painting black and white. And then I am so excited, so excited about Miles, Gwen, and Goblin. Like that's actually Goblin and Spider-Gwen and Miles are like what I've been looking forward to since the very beginning. Right. Very start. It's like, that's what I want to paint. So doing a black and white version of Goblin, because he's mostly like metallic-y or metal. So painting like black metal and white metal is like terrifyingly awesome. I'm super excited about it. I'm probably most excited about that in the like super short term. And then I'm really excited to do Wolverine and Cyclops and Magneto in my black and white paint scheme. Like super excited. And the cool part about Goblin... This is thoughts I'm having. Same for Cyclops, too. Cyclops, you can really make that eye visor pop. And Goblin, you can really make those pumpkins pop. You know, Absolutely. They can be the focus. The energy coming off the pumpkins or the fire, whatever color you want to choose, can yeah. be the focus You know, of the piece in a lot of ways if you go those colors. And, of course, Miles' main color is black. Gwen's main color is white. So you kind of got a lot working for you there. So interesting to see the take you take on those two characters because they are two favorite characters of mine as well. And, of course, you're putting time into leaders. You know, Goblin's a leader and Miles is a leader. So like every time I think you put time into a leader in this game, paint-wise, it's very valuable. It's going to pay dividends because you're going to use those models a lot. And I think that's what like with my scheme, at least, it makes when you use colors pop a lot harder. Okay. So, you know, on Goblin, normally if he's green and orange, they're complementary colors. So it looks good. But like when it's black and white and then like the flames and or pumpkins are really popping. Sure. That's what I love, right? And so even with Miles and and Gwen, while they're naturally in the color scheme, like I could paint them like they look. I'm not going to paint them like they look. Yeah. Right? So that's the, the thing I also get really excited about is like a model that already is in the right 
color scheme for my scheme? How do I actually do something that makes it where when I see this on the table, everyone knows that's mine and not theirs, right? Yes. And I, I think it's totally valid to paint models whatever you feel like, but like painting them like they would normally look. One of the things I really love is when I'm playing against someone, if they also have Thor, it's unlikely that their Thor is going to look like my Thor. I like that. Yeah. I have very similar opinions. That's why I do a lot of the green stuffing and things I do, like with my Thor, where I made the lightning bolt. I think with yeah. Miles, it's pretty self-explanatory what you do because Peter and Miles' suits are inverses of each other and the regular lore. Of course, sure enough. Peter has the red upper body with the black raised webs. Miles has the black upper body with the red raised webs. So I think whatever you go with Peter, you just go inverse with Miles and then have fun. And that's going to be fun. And then maybe you could put that color on that mailbox, you know? And then Gwen, very interested to see what you do with Gwen because she is mainly <laughs> white and black with the pink and teal. So if you take away the pink and teal or change them around some way, which route do you go, you know, because man, those are two very exciting characters. It's the most excited I've been for the game period. Cause these are just some of my favorite characters. And I think the faction abilities are incredible for both. I mean, spider foes, aggro web warriors, Spider-Man team is defensive and they're just great faction abilities that fit the factions really well. Absolutely. So continue with MCP. So obviously team covenant, you mentioned the subscriptions for MCP, but you guys started doing some pretty interesting stuff lately, which I definitely want to talk about. One of my favorite things you guys have always done is add components to games because every game I play, I hopefully want to play at the highest level of components, terrain, painting. This is just the way I am. I'm not going to play it unless I'm doing that. (laughs) So you guys recently launched the crisis tokens which are activation tokens, power tokens, and damage tokens. And of course, my favorite part, if you flip the activation tokens over, they turn into a day's token. So what were the ideas for starting those? And I guess, do you guys have any future plans of future Marvel Christ Protocol component content? Sure. When we go into these projects, I'm with you, which is like, I spend so much time playing these games that typically when I play them, I want it to be, you know, as nice as possible, whatever that ends up looking like. And there's a lot of ways to define what it means to be nice or as good as possible. But when we went into looking at Crisis Protocol and what we could do to supplement that with some compatible tokens, there were a few things that were really important to us. One is with the amount of time I was spending on these models right? We wanted to, to be sure to, to honor that. And so anytime we're designing tokens, the intersection we're trying to hit with all those sets and, you know, any of the components past the tokens into the boards and all that kind of stuff we've done for various games is essentially you have visual appeal slash theme crossing utilitarian function. Right. And so we, we want to make the game easier to play. But also the thing we want to be careful of is we don't ever want the components to be the focus of the game. So a lot of components that we've seen, uh, and I haven't seen too many for Christ Protocol in general, but and it makes sense, right? You're designing a, a token, you want to make it as awesome as possible. But if you're not careful, the token actually becomes too much of a focal point okay. when you're playing. It's, it's too loud, it's too noisy. So the goal with the tokens for us, right, is to supplement what's going on, to supplement the theme. But if possible, we kind of want them to disappear. So... We want it to feel like it's part of the game, not like it's something on top of the game, okay. if that makes sense. When it comes to like the designs and the way they look and the way they feel, we want to get them out of the way as much as possible. So with these tokens, that happens in a couple of ways. It's important too, the context. So we, we spent a ton of time with the tokens we were making you know, specifically to be compatible with Marvel Champions. 
in honing a technique where we could actually use two different colors of paint on the same side of the token. And the goal of that was to put it on a white piece of acrylic and use two colors, because if you just do white with one color, it's very monochromatic in that way. But with two colors, we started getting it for us the way they were coming out. It feels a lot more like a page on a comic, right? Which is like you have colors printed on a piece of paper and it kind of looks more like that and lets you do more with the design. In that way, right, it's like we try to design tokens that looked good because if you're going to spend all this time on these models, you don't want to have buy components that also don't look like someone spent a lot of time working on them, right? So we want to look good, but we also didn't want them to take over the stack cards. And so that comes through in the size of the tokens, in the fact that the the damage and the, the power flip. So on the backside of a one damage is a two, right. and on the back three, I think it's three damage. And on the backside of the power is a, a two, right? And so what that lets you do is when you spend a power token, if you have a two sitting there, you can flip it over and it's a one. Okay. Or if you're if you're taking damage, it flips over and it's just easier instead of having to grab a new token and move it and switch it around all the time. And then on top of that, having those basically quickly flippable and incremental damage and power tokens means that it's going to take up less space on the stat card. And so you can basically not have all of the tokens suddenly covering the entire stat card. Even though the stat cards are huge, there's a lot of times on a lot of the stat cards, there's not a lot of space, right? And so we were looking at like, how do you actually get five or six damage and five or six power on a single character without having to have like 82 tokens in it? Oh, yeah. So that's really, I mean, that was the process and we kind of iterated on it. I love the way those damage tokens came out. Yes. And they're incredibly thematic for reasons that are now coming out, right? Right. The three has the three like claw looking marks going through it. So I don't know. I think we sent you some. So like, what do you think about them? I could talk about them all day, but like you're a independent third party. Yeah. And I want to do a full proper review on these, but basically my gut feelings on them playing them a couple games now. So I actually can say I've played them in games more than just observing their beauty on my table or something. Of course, they save space. They save time, which I'm all about because typically I don't like the three power thing in games because the way I think of it is you're grabbing three off your table and then go putting them in your side and then picking up the three and then moving it over. I know a lot of people really like that. I would just rather have their six just be six ones. You guys just don't have that because you can flip it on the back. That changes things altogether. That's great. Saves time. But of course, as you said, they don't pop too much, but obviously very clear (laughs) on the table. They're very clear, which is a huge, huge emphasis for me. And I'm really looking forward to if you guys are doing condition tokens next. I'm just saying this. I don't know if you are. If you are, I'm very interested in those because... I know some players in this game that I've played like to put their conditions on their cards, but I think that's a mistake. I think actually they need to be on the board so you can visually see for both players. So if Thor just gave somebody a shock, say it's Captain America, and now Captain America has a shock on the table next to him, I want it to be very visually apparent that he has a shock so his next attacks he rolls, he doesn't forget to remove the one strength dice from the attacks. I think the visual element is really important. So my favorite part of you guys' tokens, of course, is the activated tokens. And this is something I've always been a huge fan of in all games that I've played, that you guys have done tokens for, and anything like that. Anything to make the activations that have gone more visually represented to not only the players, but the audience. Because I'm always interested in these games being presented to people walking by. It's the whole reason why I think this is one of the best miniatures games ever made, because I think if it's painted, if the terrain's done right and the players, you know, are having a good time and somebody walks by, I think it's one of the most striking games. It's also only on a three by three, which is really nice. And I think the tokens can add to that. And I think you guys' activation tokens add a lot. And my favorite part, as I already mentioned up front, but I'm mentioning again, is the day's token on the back, because 
that's a mechanic in the game, as I'm sure you know very well, that when someone gets dazed, even if they've already activated, technically their activation token disappears entirely. So when you flip it to dazed, now it's really apparent because that's red. Yeah. Their days. And you know what? It just makes it even easier for me to <laughs> to go with Ronin again. One thing I, I didn't mention, you did hit on it, that oh, I think good. is really critically important is like the ability to easily see it on the table and easily see it across the table. And not like easily see it where it's popping out, but it's like if you look across, you can tell how much health I have. Or how much damage I've taken. Right. Or who's activated or who's dazed. It's not getting lost on the card. When it comes down to it, Atomic Mass did a great job with the tokens that they provide with the cardboard. But they're working with cardboard. And there's only so much dimensionality and color popping you can do with cardboard. The color on the white is striking enough that it's hard for your eye to miss. But not so striking that you're going to ignore the the model, the Thor that I painted for 30 hours, right? Like, a, it's just a different different level. Well, you're definitely going to see that Days token, like I mentioned. So, really important to me because it's kind of signaling, has someone gone with the green token? Or if it's red, have they already been dazed this round? It means a couple things. So, I have a favorite card currently in the game, Zach. It's called Field Dressing. It's the third card of the three heal cards. It's actually the one that I think people don't take as much. Patch-up's always going to work. If you can pay the power, patch-up's just going to heal things. This one's a little bit different. If you pay the power, it removes a daze token. So this is more like a higher ceiling type card because it has to be used at the most appropriate time. Obviously, it's a nice get-out-of-jail-free card if somebody just gets destroyed at the beginning of a round. You're like, oh, man, I've already lost an activate you know, this round. It's a great get-out-of-jail-free card because you play it on them do that. Lately, I've been using it with Ronin, which has been very exciting. So when Ronin gets dazed, he gets a free attack of any type. And if he's fed on power, he gets to do his big attack, Creed Justice, which is just absolutely insane. He gets a short move and gets to do a free attack. So he's a problem. He's a control piece because you don't want to kill him to get a free attack, but also you want to kill him before he goes, right? So maybe someone dazes him and then he does an attack, passes out a stagger, does a lot of damage to somebody. But now he's dazed. Well, later in the round, you walk up with someone else say Nebula, Black Widow, you pay the field dressing cost. Field dressing removes a daze token and one damage from a character. So Ronan's only at one life, but now it's the end of the round. He gets to go again. Let's say you even play the middle of the round while they still have activations left. He gets double attack. Just tap people. Bam, bam. What are they going to do? They're going to kill him again because there's only one life. Or they might not. But if they kill him again, guess what he gets to do? He gets to go again with a free attack. This is all within one round. The way I always play games is I don't necessarily try to be the best meta or the best strategy or whatever. I always just try to play on my feed and question the other player all game. Just give them multiple questions to deal with. And if I present three questions, if I present Ronan over here, hey, he's low health. Do you want to kill him? And I also have field dressing in my hand. And I also have Cap over here about to kill someone and take an objective. I let them decide. And then I pivot from that point onward. So what's really fun about you guys' days token is Ronan can go. It's green. Then he gets dazed it flipped to his red and then you come out with field <laughs> you take it away and then you activate him again so essentially he got two activations in a round plus some free attacks from every time he got dazed so that's just one example of the token going out flipping coming back out flipping coming back all within one round which is very helpful yep. also very visual it also might help them to maybe not make the mistake with ronin which i think is good too because i never want to like game somebody this happened to me the lcg a lot early on you know mm-hmm. people didn't tell me about things having edge. And I was like, okay, so right now we're equal edge. And they'd be like, yeah. <laughs> and they're playing the Falcon against me, which obviously has edge and the edge battle. Then we'd flip cards and they'd be like, well, I'm at four. And I'm like, how? I'm at three. I thought we were the same or, you know, oh, I have the Falcon. Okay. Classic. You're that type of player. Thanks, card game players. I'm looking at you, Dennis. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> Dennis is the best. I just think visual representation is great for someone walking by, but it's also great for both players. So I think you guys have achieved that. And I really look forward to your status tokens. And of course, of course, which I know is the hardest and probably also the most important one day, hopefully those objective tokens. <laughs> the game always has sure. two objectives out every time you play. And I know it's probably an impossible ask to have them all at some point, but even just those corset ones, they come up so often. The cube pieces, the amount of times we see the cube pieces out on the board, and if they were visually more yeah. striking and just easier to see, that'd be great. Because sometimes, unfortunately, cardboard does get lost on good terrain. Notice I say good terrain. Bad terrain, it shows up great. Yeah. Like somebody just rolls out a flat <laughs> purple mat with yeah. nothing on it. Okay, yeah, it's going to pop on that. But but even on the mats that Atomic Mass does, which are great. Yes, it kind of gets hidden, right? Similar color schemes, comic book themes. There's a lot of greens, grays you know, reds, primary colors, blues. I look forward to that. And I don't know if you can tease any of that, but this would be a fun <laughs> time to tease that. Or just even status tokens, because it'd be cool to have a bleed token or something. Sure. So, I mean, the reality for us is like, we looked at it and it was kind of looking at what are the like essential, everyone needs right. these tokens, tokens. And so we started there and that's the crisis pack that we have now. And it basically it comes with two of the uh, activation, token. activation days tokens and then enough damage and power for most two character packs. And so, like, for me, most of the combinations of characters that I would run are four or five characters. So I bought three of them. And you can kind of scale it up because some people will want to run a bunch of the, like, low point characters and do that whole thing. And some people will run, like, Thor Hulk Cap. And it's like, all right, here's my list. That's a list. So, yeah, we wanted to, to let it scale based on what people like to do. And then from there, you know, there's nothing currently in the queue or on the plan. We keep about, you know, eight to 16 weeks out. Yeah. Like the stuff that we're putting out for the next eight to 10 weeks is already done because you have to design it and prototype it and proof it. And then you have to actually go into manufacturing and all that kind of stuff. So it's on our list of things that we might do. All of the stuff you just said, right? right? Doing really cool objective tokens that look awesome. Condition tokens for all the stuff. I think condition tokens would be the obvious first step because technically every player needs those as well one day because not every character dishes out conditions, but every time you play a game, you're going to give a condition or gain a condition probably from something. Yeah, that's uh, definitely first on our list currently, uh, even when we go there. But part of it is basically seeing the reaction to the ones that we have now, how it's going, right. uh, how many people are interested in it over time. And, you know, if the reaction is strong enough that we, we can only design and make so many products because we make all this stuff in-house and we design it all in-house. So we're pretty particular about what we decide to put out. We knew we wanted to do... Uh, something for crisis protocol because uh, we after a certain amount of time there really weren't a ton of uh, really many at all uh, great options there really weren't a variety of options no. so we wanted to, to see what we do and see what people thought about it and put them out and we wanted them for ourselves ultimately and i'm using them and, and i'm i'm loving them so we'll ultimately kind of see how the next probably two or three months goes and then if that goes well, then we'll go from there. But it's also a weird time for this kind of it's stuff, right? Because like people can't play as much. So people are painting. Are they necessarily upgrading the stuff they're playing with? I, I don't know. We've, we've seen a, a decent amount of support so far for them and interest, but it's kind of in the middle right now. I, it's not a, yeah, we're absolutely going to do this or <laughs> oh, no. no, there's no way we're going to do this. It's not a bad thing necessarily. It's yep. just we're still pretty early on in the process. So 
it takes a lot of time to design and develop that stuff, especially the technique we're using with these tokens with the, the multiple colors on a side. That can take a lot of prototyping to get that right and to get those manufacturing processes down. Well, let me say this, and this is probably something you guys already touched on. There's so many objectives. That's that's a whole other nut to crack. But every time you play an objective, you do play with one extract and one secure, and they are blue and red. And you know, you guys have some really good iconography. <laughs> And blue and red seem to fit in your whole thing. So maybe if you just had these really nice, chunky blue and red tokens. Because, you know, something I actually experienced that because I tried to use some of you guys' old tokens as objectives. I'm looking at you, Netrunner, and some of the 40K <laughs> card game stuff. and Pearl Salt stuff. Oh, your Conquest. They're all too small because it turns out MCP has really big objective tokens. And it's part of the gameplay because, of course, they make the short movements and medium movements valid only sorts of so unfortunately i couldn't do that because you guys have some really good ones with netrunner for the extremist consoles and things like that of course not so much for this because we got to have that right size but yeah i really look forward to if you guys do the conditions and of course i always look forward to your first player token every game you make that's like always my favorite piece (laughs) that's hilarious it matters a lot in christ protocol actually matters more than almost any game i've ever played if you lose an activation or you go with a bunch up front i'm looking at you black order where some of the units can go back to back corvus and proxima can do that Priority flips a lot. And it's like, okay, yeah. whoever went last doesn't have priority more. And now the other player has priority, right? It always switches. So that priority token, that first player token being passed around a lot, it's pretty pivotal, a big thing as well. So I would venture to say, add that to your condition tokens if it ever does happen. Talk about objectives sure. later because that's very complex. Yeah, well, we'd love to do it all. So it, it really boils down to we've done the ones we've done. We're very happy with them and those will be around. But if if they'll see enough attention, we'll definitely, it's on the list, like I said. So it's a medium sized list. There's a lot of stuff we could make, but True. it's not so big that it's like, we'll just see. And how the next six to nine months of the game is also super re- goes is really relevant. We've had so many games That's where right. even some of the ones you mentioned, Conquest, we spent a ton of time designing tokens for. Short lived game. And then the game goes away. And so it's just a bunch of effort that was spent for very little return. And so we just have to be careful with our resources if we want to keep being able to do everything we're doing yeah i just will put you on the spot and tell you i know you guys have made at least four or five bleed tokens in your history <laughs> that's true you're not wrong so there's a decent asset somewhere i'm sure it can be improved because you guys have improved with every tokens come out since but still bleed tokens turn out they're in a lot of miniatures games turns out <laughs> that's right that's a common condition who would have known so any other things you guys are working on currently so you mentioned of course, streaming before. And then, of course, you guys sometimes talk on the Covenant cast about things like this. But tokens, is there anything else you ha- have planned for the future with Crisis Protocol? Just more streams with you and Steven learning? So basically, you know, we've been ever since the, the pandemic hit, we've been streaming five days a week, Monday through Friday, one o'clock central every time. And we've done, I think, three painting streams and we've done at least two or three gameplay streams yeah. where we're playing Crisis Protocol. And so that's about every other week uh, at, at the moment, which is a pretty you know top billing. The only games that get more than that are we do Marvel Monday, Marvel Champions, and then uh, Freaky Friday, Arkham Horror on Fridays. Right. Ultimately, the thing about Crisis Protocol is like, one, I don't really want to play without painted miniatures. Oh, yeah. I've spent a lot of time painting. And then two... I don't feel like I'm good enough at painting that like a bunch of painting streams make sense either. And then three is that like when we play, I like to have like the last time we played, I was doing Asgardians and Steven was playing the Wakanda faction. And so we had a lot of models we hadn't played on stream before. So essentially, I like having where we have a lot of new models in play by the time we're playing again. 
uh, so that yeah. essentially someone could watch through our, you know, early streams and then the streams from the early pandemic and now and basically get a really wide view of what's out there and what's available for the game. And it's not just the same models over and over and over again because that, that could get, you know, boring on some level. So at this point, I'm getting Goblin and Gwen and Miles. So I'll put those together and I'm going to hopefully get those painted. And then we'll come back in after Doctor Strange comes out and we'll probably do a spider faction, whether it's the foes or miles versus the defenders. Yeah, of course. And we'll show those off. And then of course, when X-Men come out, we'll be doing the X-Men and so on and so forth. Excellent. Is there a particular day that MCP falls on or is it just typically random? I know it's not your Monday or Friday or is it on Mondays? When we do it, we usually do it on Wednesdays. Okay. That's just what it normally falls on. Thursdays, we've been in throwback Thursdays to a bunch of old games. And then Tuesday is kind of our like indie publisher, small publisher slot. So games like Sky Tear and Flesh and Blood, which are two up and coming publishers that we've been doing. And then Wednesday, I've been calling Wild Card. So that's just our flex spot for Paint Day, Crisis Protocol, whatever whatever game happens to strike our fancy. Awesome. So people just need to follow you there. And is Steven using his own models or some of yours or vice versa? They're mine. It's, it's all my okay. my models. So you have you yeah. painted Black Panther and rest of Wakandans? I painted Black Panther and then I restarted on Black Panther because I wasn't happy with Black Panther. Oh, he's pivotal, man. If you're an Avengers player, he's pivotal to your team. He's definitely high on my list. I am restarting. And then I, I haven't painted the Wakanda. When we played, I hadn't painted Thor either. I had primed them with yep. my, uh, you know, my airbrush doing the Zenithal priming, but that was it. It was just like flat. It was fine. But like, that's part of it too, is like, if we're going to show the game, I agree with you. It's a very striking game we'd prefer to show it in its like best form but it's a balance between like we don't not ever want to show this content but also like yeah we want to show it in its best so it's a it's a struggle fair enough i have very similar opinions because yeah it's like parts of me are like get goblin right on the table he's glued together let's try it and then other parts of me are like well there's a couple characters i have fully painted based and everything that i've played with like twice you know some of those wakandans yeah. i'm looking at them for me in particular Maybe they should be pulled out, you know? And so they're <laughs> sure. great paint jobs, you know? Well, that's fun. So switching off Marvel Christ Protocol for a bit. This is Zach Bunn here. We already got some of the information on your past. Let's talk about your current. Any other hobbies or nerdy things you're into besides miniatures, painting, obviously content creation, card games, all this great stuff we just talked about up to this point. Let's go something else that someone might not know. Sure. Let me think about that. So, you know, pandemic's weird for this. Yeah. Ultimately. Well, this will lead into our next question, which might help you, but anything fun you've watched or played or been a part of lately that's maybe not involving tabletop games? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think the between streaming and then working at Covenant and then pandemic's been crazy for us, honestly, just trying to figure it out and navigate it and make sure everyone on staff is going to have a job and just all kinds of craziness going on. And then there's like almost no social. So I've been doing a lot more painting, as we've been mentioning, but I've also watched a fair number of, of shows. Okay. I'm trying to think about what my favorite recent show is. I'll give two examples that are like, I think, polar opposite content oh, pieces. Class, exactly. A show that my brother Tim recommended forever that I just didn't watch and didn't watch and didn't watch that I think is amazing is Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It's uh, just hilarious. I don't know if you've ever watched it. Oh, I have. My wife's a huge fan. Yeah, it's so funny. It's so good. Yeah. More recently, though, you know, I I imagine that my palette of content preferences is uh, probably surprising to a lot of people. Like, I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan. Right. Which... She had an album come out recently. It was fantastic. She did. And when people heard that on our stream, Steve and I started talking about it when we were live and they were just like, 
what is happening? Like, I didn't expect this, but I've always been a huge Swifty. But the thing I was going to say in the TV show realm that kind of reminds me of that is we just finished a show, Cursed. I don't know if you've seen that or not. It's kind of a twist on the Arthurian legend, which I'm a huge fan of King Arthur and all the Knights of the Round Table and that whole thing. So I feel like with the pandemic, my wife and I at least are reaching the kind of like bottom of Netflix. Oh, man. Like, not in a bad way, but just like in a... Everything that we would watch on like a Netflix or a Hulu, we probably have watched at this point. That was uh, that was the most recent thing. And I thought it was great. It was well done. But it was also like I could tell the first couple of episodes they were kind of getting into their flow. And then after that, I, I liked it a whole lot. Do you guys have HBO as well? Or is that? No. That's <laughs> we that's, a, that's always a weird question to ask people because they're like, well, my parents have it and I have their login. <laughs> no, we don't have it. But uh, our mutual friend, Matt. Yes. Matt's probably come up on the show a lot. Yeah. I, I call him Cinemat. Yeah. Because he's my source of content when I otherwise can't watch something. Of course. You know, if there was something that I really wanted to watch, I could do it. He got me um, Watchmen, the show, which I'm really excited to watch. I haven't seen it yet, oh, but I, I'm excited to see oh, it. Man. Yeah, I know. If you ever want to borrow the graphic novel, get prepared. I'm sure me and Matt both have multiple copies, so we can get you. <laughs> Somewhere. I see your library Yeah, Watchmen's an excellent choice. Also, if you have HBO Access, something I recommend all the time to people that, for some reason, sometimes goes under the radar, but Barry, the show Barry, hmm. stars Bill Hader, written by Bill Hader, produced by Bill Hader, and directed by Bill Hader from, of course, SNL fame and Tulsa fame. It's just incredible. It's just like a work of art. It is a comedy. It's a drama. It's got some horrific violence and things in it as well what else could you want the premise is bill Hader plays a hitman and he's been a hitman his whole life he's done with it he's tired of it he's like i don't think this was ever for me he's having doubts you know he's like why do i even do this and then one day he randomly stumbles into an acting class an improv class and he joins the improv class and then he's like i want to be an actor so it's a hitman wanting to be an actor who has no talent in being an actor and he's struggling to get out of this hitman world which of course has criminal ties and all this stuff and then all he's really trying to do is restart his life become an improv actor and that's the most i can tell you because there's so much in it but it's just incredible (laughs) that actually sounds hilarious yeah it's hilarious and it's dark and it's rich and there's only two seasons on hbo third season comes out hopefully soon pandemic permitting any type of show like that where it is from the mind of one person and it's that good and when i say the mind i mean produced written directed lead acted he's the he's pulse's own it's just kind of like you have to watch it i think if you live here like we do and you said it's on hbo yeah it's called barry i always tout it to people as it's like dexter but not at all because people are always like you know Dexter's a classic, right? What's it like? It's about a serial killer struggling with that image and that idea and, and, you know, his ambitions and all this stuff and his like nature. But Barry's like completely different. And there's a great cast on it as well. Barry's great. And, you know, Zach, lately I've been on cloud nine because there's an incredible, I don't know what happened. I don't know who pulled what strings, but there's an incredible Transformers show on Netflix, brand new called War of Cybertron, which is the story of Transformers. The most important story. Forget every other story that involves humans. Step one, no humans. Great. <laughs> Step two, you know, classic characters. Great. You know, step three, it's a mini series of sorts where it's three seasons that are like mini series. As in, there's no filler, there's no like jumping of episodes. It's honestly like if you push the six episodes of one season together, it'd just be like one three hour yeah. movie. You know what I mean? And there's gonna be 
nice. three seasons total to tell the whole story of the war on Cybertron between Optimus and Megatron, the classic story we all know, you know. Tells all the time. The only downside of the show is since it was lower budget made by Netflix, they of course could not afford to get the master and legend Peter Cullen to play Optimus and of course Frank Welker to play Megatron. But the actors that play Optimus and Megatron are great and of course everybody else is great as well. So man, as a Transformers fan and when there's so much bad stuff, you know. <laughs> A relief that you get so much good. Yeah. And, you know, when you see a Transformers show that doesn't have that much action, that should say a lot. It makes the action yeah, more impactful. That's where they always get tangled up, right? Yeah, yeah. That's where it's good, right? Because Transformers, the original story on the planet is all about the politics. And the Autobots were never, they were always down on their luck. You know, they were always like losing. They were always on the brink of extinction. It's about that, which is great. And I always love shows that show amb- ambiguity. Like it's not a hundred percent that all the Autobots are good and all the Decepticons are bad, which is how it really is in the world, I think too. Yeah. So that's exciting stuff, but it's just, it's hard right now that the pandemic, it's like we're more connected than ever and also more separated than ever. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a tough, it's a tough challenge. It's tough. So hopefully we get to play some MCP in the near future. And of course, X-Men is just, it's just going to be this huge event, Zach. It's just going to be a big deal. Even if the pandemic's still going on, I still think it's going to be a major deal in the gaming community. I am really looking forward to, I mean, obviously at some point, all this is really going to end. And I feel like when we get to that point, I'm just super excited to see how many people have these like incredibly painted miniatures and armies and, you know, basically teams. Because I think, honestly, I really do think that like it's going to come out and like there's going to be so many people itching to play all these games from Christ Protocol to everything else. You know, if you spend a year painting your models and not getting to play them and all of a sudden you can play them. I feel like that first month or two where everyone's like really comfortable getting out and playing, it's going to be like fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. My current goal right now is with that in mind, I'm thinking very future centric. I'm not thinking current. I'm making enough terrain that's good, if not hopefully great for like at least four tables with that in mind. You know what I mean? Because yeah, I, I, I can't wait. Because I want to supply that to a game store. I don't want it to be like, well, we have the core set and the core mat, which is fine terrain. It's really good, but it's not enough as we all know. I'd rather bring these dynamic and different boards. I mean, we are in the cosmic realm in the game now. So that just kind of opens up the possibilities of boards. You could have alien planets, shield bases, all this type of stuff, hydra bases, cool stuff. So that's kind of my current goal that I haven't even talked about on the show yet, but I've been mentioned at time to time, just like working on terrain, not only to play on, but of course to hopefully go to a community event and let everybody else play on, which is always very exciting. You know, we've mentioned a few times throughout the show, but like Christ Protocol ultimately got a lot of things right. I think not having factions, being able to pick any 10 models you want. And I think also making it where you mentioned it, but the three by three mat is super important. So it's not huge. You can sit down while you play. It doesn't take up 82 tables at a game store. Yes. And I think the terrain is also very clever. Like the terrain packs they're doing, the terrain you get in the starter. You know, as a store, that's one of the tough parts of a miniatures game all the time is like not only does it take up way more space and that means you can have less people in your store but then often it means you have to provide a bunch of terrain that was the thing that all, all honestly kept us out of legion locally was like it's a three by six board and you need a ton of terrain yep. we could spend a ton of resources in building like a couple boards and like it's going to take up half you know so much of the store <laughs> so like crisis protocol though is just doing it really well if someone's never played a miniatures game it's actually a miniatures game they could reasonably get into which is really impressive it really is and like we said earlier it's easier to get into and if you really want to put the time into it and build your own terrain paint all your models you know really dive into the lore of the characters and play more you can do that but if even if you just want to play casually you have the course set a couple models maybe they're just kind of base coded and that's it they're table ready that's great for this game too. There's no sort of like weird, super elitist miniature gaming judgment, I think. I think it's like the perfect game to 
open all doors, which is why I'm the most excited about it of any Mitch's game I ever played. And I cannot wait for eventually and hopefully when Atomic Mass extends that single player content and of course hopefully more thematic campaign based content in the future because that of course we always know brings a whole nother class of player entirely absolutely it's exciting it's never been a better time to be a marvel fan and a tabletop fan i'll tell you that agreed so zach where can people follow you and support your content if they don't know already Sure. So I'm personally most active on Twitter. It's at Zach Bunn, Zach with an H, Bunn with two N's. But I, I tweet a lot. So that's that's one place you can follow me. And then you can find Team Covenant pretty much everywhere. Uh, YouTube's where most of our audience is for streaming and whatnot. But we, we stream to Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube all at the same time. Like I said, it's five days a week, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. Ultimately, yeah, we're streaming five days a week. Crash Protocol's fantastic. We play it, as I said, when it makes sense. And it's a game that I'm, I think, crushed it at Gen Con. It's a game I, I really do hope succeeds. I think it's incredible for getting people into the miniature element of tabletop. It's a true miniatures game that removes the noise, removes so many of the barriers for people. So I, I think it's a great thing for the hobby, and I think it's a great game. I'm looking forward to playing and painting for with friends for years and years to come. So major shout-out to you, Jesse, and all the, the content creators in the community all the people that are, you know, putting together communities and building communities, especially with everything going on with COVID. I think all of that is so critical for every games community and the tabletop gaming community in general. And it, it's a job that doesn't get thanked enough. So I appreciate you having me on and I of appreciate uh, everyone for helping build this community. I very much look forward to where this podcast goes and where this community goes. I'm, I'm excited. You know, the future of tabletop is a very hopeful and bright thing to think about. So I'm excited to see it and hopefully we'll we'll get to do this again at some point. Yeah, absolutely. We will definitely reconvene in the future and thanks for carving some time out of your schedule to talk about this great community. Fury's Finest is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Fury's Finest patron by going to patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. Catch our streams of Marvel Christ Protocol at twitch.tv slash Fury's Finest. So Chris and I, as we talked about last episode, have been really trying to figure out if there's a entertaining way to stream TTS games, I'm still trying to figure that out the best way possible because it's tough because I don't necessarily want to watch one player look at their hand of cards, look at their miniatures. I kind of want more of a standard streaming setup. So that's something we're kind of working on right now. So stay tuned. Follow us on Twitch. It's really helpful. Also follow the show on Twitter at Fury's Finest Cast, Instagram and Facebook at Fury's Finest. And as always, guys, any sort of podcast review, especially Apple Podcasts, help us out a lot. I know huge portion of our listeners are Android listeners. So all you Apple users, actually your reviews even have more weight. Half of our listeners can't even give us five-star reviews. So it's really helpful. Thanks to approaching Nirvana for intro and outro music and help spread the word of our show as always by subscribing, rating, reviewing. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Jesse Aiken. That's J-S-S-E. E-A-K-I-N. Check out my new podcast, Project Starhawk, which is all about the upcoming Star Wars Squadrons game. It's a very exciting time to be a Star Wars gamer because we haven't had a game in quite some time. And for EA to drop the curveball of a flight sim game, which hasn't been out for over 20 years, was the most exciting thing I've seen in quite some time in the video game world for Star Wars. Of course, check out the Canon Cantina Like Normal, my Star Wars podcast that discusses everything canon, lore, news, legends, and much more. And of course, you can follow my co-host Chris on Twitter at Chris Bruffett. That is B-R-U-F-F-E-T-T. 
T. As Zach mentioned earlier, make sure to follow Zach on Team Covenant and add Zach Bunn. So Zach, you and I have a very similar Twitter handle. It's just our name. And, you know, it either makes people way harder to find me or way easier. It's there. It's a thing. <laughs> and Zach likes to tweet about Taylor Swift and Star Wars and That's various true. things. A lot of tabletop. It's actually, uh, looking back, it's uh, the past six months, it's been a lot of painting pictures, which mm. is funny. Definitely a mix of Taylor Swift, Star Wars, and painting and tabletop gaming, for sure. Hey, man, Taylor Swift even got my attention with a new album. She co-wrote a song with Bon Iver, so Exile. It's a great song. That's how you get into Jesse's playlist, <laughs> yeah. apparently. Write a song with Justin <laughs> Vernon. He wrote that incredible bridge. It's a good song. Her return to form, her return to the folk genre is the most correct decision she's made, I think, in a decade. That's just my opinion. It's like she doesn't have a uh, studio that she has to perform for. Right. And she's also like such a superstar and so famous now that you get to a level where it's like, I want to do a jazz album. And people are just like, okay, if you really want to, you know. Well, she got to that level and she also, she got out of her original record label. Right? Very helpful. And um, once she got a re-sign, she can sign and do whatever she wants. A return to songwriting and folk is great and very unexpected. A-okay with me. <laughs> yep. Two thumbs way up over here. Never in my lifetime would I expect for someone to tell me some point in the future during a pandemic, Taylor Swift is going to drop an emo indie album as an indie music, indie folk music album. Yet here we are. I'm a believer. I've never really been a, what'd you call it? A Swifter? I, don't, I can't even keep it. Sw- Swifty. Swifter. <laughs> a Swifter. I like that so much more. I'm a Swifter. I'm a Swifter. <laughs> it sounds like something from like 90s or Nintendo. I was more thinking it sounded like something you clean the floor with. <laughs> Man. Good stuff. Well, thanks for being here, Zach. And we will do it again in the future and stay safe, of course, right now. And we'll reconvene again via the internet. This is a great tool. Agreed. Yeah, it was great seeing you. Great hearing from you. I'll, I'm happy to be back whenever. Yeah. I'm going to be even more happy when we can actually sit across the table from each other, throw some dice, and I can check out all your beautiful models. I will be playing Doctor Strange. I'm telling you now. It's going to happen. That man is exciting. Thanks for listening. True Believers. has gotten even stranger than you already know. At this point, I doubt anything would surprise me. Ken Buck says you're wrong. 